I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. These days, F1 drivers have all the personality of a gently steamed leak. But they weren't always so dull. Kimmy, you missed the presentation. I was having a shit. <laughs> From shootouts with drug lords to week-long orgies, meet F1's biggest shaggers, wrongers, and hellraisers. Fucking look like rock stars, huh? And now we are a fucking bunch of wanker. My name is Jack Riven. I'm joined, as always, by Zach Sweeney-Lynn. Hello. Hello. And we have got regular guest and sometime pit lane interviewer, Mr. George Cooper here. Hello, you right, Jack? You, uh, you've done a few grid walks in your time, haven't you? <laughs> I don't know about grid walks, but yeah, I did work on the F1 circuit for a portion of the 2022 season. Very much so in a work capacity. I certainly wasn't invited to any of those week-long orgies that you referred to in the intro. But given the somewhat corporate nature of the sport that I saw... I wouldn't be surprised if those sort of antics were from an F1 of yesteryear, shall we say. Generally, F1 is, I alluded to it in the intro, it's a slightly tamer place now, isn't it, Zach, than it once was? I think we'll, we'll touch on some of the stories from the 70s and 80s in this in this podcast, but in that era, it was really this, like, playboy world. I think there was there was always a lot of money in it, but it was obviously way more dangerous at that time than it is now. I mean, it's still dangerous now, but... it just has such a sort of hedonistic streak that I think sort of money and sponsorship is kind of sucked out of it now. It's, it's very sad. It's, it's, it's the same with a lot of sports. It's the same with the Premier League that the characters are not quite so wild as yeah. they were, I think. There's a, uh, there's a quote from Sterling Moss, who they call him the greatest driver to never win the championship. And he said, in my day, the drivers used to go out after a race and chase Crumpet. These days, they thank Vodafone, um, which I... <laughs> increasingly that quote says more about Sterling Moss than anything else. <laughs> I read in research for this pod that he used to keep two, he used to keep a red book and a black book at his home in London. The red book was for all his race performances and the black book was every girl he'd ever slept with, which is <laughs> fucking That's weird. That's very creepy. <laughs> so yeah. creepy. But you know, obviously in the 80s that everyone thought that was like fucking what a legend and now you're like, That's creepy. Also, he used to work crumpet as well. That's, yeah. that's sort of a bygone era, isn't it? He used to work crumpet a lot. It was almost his like catchphrase. Different times. Indeed. All right, well, speaking of different times, should we get into it with a glorious playboy from the past? Right? Yeah. So we're going to start with probably, probably F1's most notorious playboy, James Hunt, who was a British driver. He drove for McLaren in the, in the 70s. He famously had sex breakfast of champions embroidered on his overalls. What does um, that even really mean? <laughs> does that just mean like have sex in the morning? 
I guess. Yeah. I love sex. I mean. Yeah, if you if you have to embroider that onto your overalls, like that's <laughs> surely it's not it's not the most Playboy thing to do. Really. Yeah. Maybe it is. Who sewed it on? Was it a patch? I, or I, I think like... it was his mum. Yeah, yeah. Was he iron on patches? <laughs> While you're saying my name on behind the college, you might say putting this on as well. <laughs> but he was obviously he had this reputation for being a massive shagger. But he was also a really good driver. He won the the 1976 World Championship. Had this really epic battle with Nicky Lauda, the, the Austrian driver, who at that time he was the Nicky Lauda was the reigning champion, and he during the 1976 season he was leading the championship for for most of the way, but kind of neck and neck with James Hunt. Until Nicky had a, a really, really terrible crash. Like he spun off the car, set on fire. He got really badly burned, inhaled loads of toxic fumes, ended up in a coma and they read him the last rites. So everyone's thinking he's a goner. He made this like miraculous recovery, somehow only missed two races um, and then came back with like his really big scar. He lost his ear, had like really bad scarring on his face, but because he missed those two races, James Hunt caught up with him in the championship. They were, I think he was a couple of points behind by the final race. There's there's a story about this that Nicky Lauda, years later, an American newspaper took him back to the scene of the crash. I think it's the Nürburgring in Germany. And uh, they took him back to the scene of the crash and the paper wanted this like really emotional, serious interview. You can imagine, you know, like quite, like quite a touching moment as Nicky visits the exact site. Apparently when they got there, when the, Journalist was looking away for a second. Nicky Lauda just whipped out a bit of raw chicken from his pocket, threw it on the grass and just goes, there's my ear! <laughs> Which I think <laughs> captures a lot of the humour. I mean, those yeah. guys were fucking hard as nails back then, right? Because they were constantly risking death, but they were quite like, oh, they had good gallows humour about it. Yeah, that's he, he He always comes across as quite nice, I think. He was very, he was very magnanimous in uh, when he conceded victory in the, in the title race to, to James Hunt. Which so there's a good story about around the final race. So it's like going into the it's like the season ending Japanese Grand Prix. James Hunt's I think three points behind Nicky Lauda, and he gets stationed at this plush hotel in Fuji in the in the lead up to the race. And you know you'd think it's he's got the biggest race of his career coming up, he could win the world championship. So you'd think he'd just you know get a few early nights and visualize victory. But instead he invites along. His best mate, Barry Sheen, who's the motorcycle world champion. And the two of them were like basically the big British playboys of the 70s. And they have this like two week booze, cocaine fueled bender at this hotel, which also conveniently for them happens to be a stop off for the British Airways cabin crew. So basically (laughs) every day there'd be a new cohort of stewardesses that are arriving at the hotel and according to Alistair Caldwell who's the the McLaren team manager he said every morning James would bounce up to the girls in his shorts and bare feet and say hello I'm James Hunt and take them straight upstairs for a party this happened every day for a fortnight (laughs) so he's basically just having this two-week orgy at the hotel in the run-up to the race day and I think his his team was sort of tolerating it it's a bit like okay whatever James, if this is what you need to get you in the zone for the to to let off some steam before the big race, then you go for it. But their patience is tested on race day when minutes before the start of the race, he's nowhere to be found. So they're all frantically searching around the paddock, 
trying to find James when one of the mechanics finds this unlocked pit garage and comes in and finds James Hunt there with his trousers around his ankles with a with a local Japanese girl. <laughs> air stewardess as well? I don't know if she's an air stewardess. I'm, I'm imagining one of the sort of champagne holding... Uh, they often um, they often are cabin crew on. They, is it me or is there some weird do. F1 cabin crew overlap? Is it because they're all sponsored by Emirates? Maybe. Or the races, but even but... back then as well, the BA thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like quite a glamorous job back then, wasn't it? Like, yeah, hostess. It's not like your standard sort of Ryanair flight to Dublin. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, flying was, yeah, yeah. So, so it was this race day where he's shagging in the pit lane. Yeah, this was literally before the final race of the season where he's <laughs> he's like going for the title against Nicky Lauda. Against yeah. Nicky Lauda, he ends up. Nicky Lauda has another another nightmare and uh, has to drop out of the race. Apparently, the reason is because he he was struggling because he was unable to blink because of the burns from his crash. <laughs> yeah. And that is nuts so, that you'd get back in a yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so poor Nicky Lauda doesn't finish the race and James Hunt finishes third, which means he gets four points. So he ends up winning the title by one point. Wow. And true to form goes off on another enormous bender. So... You don't think that that's like slightly insensitive? But you imagine that happened now, yeah. like you're like Verstappen and Hamilton in a head-to-head battle, and then the Hamilton end up in a coma, and then that yeah. then causes you. You think that you'd have a bit of a muted yeah. celebration, Just spraying the champagne? But no, it's literally the only the only reason you've won the title is because your rival was in a coma for like two weeks during the last season. race. Yeah, and you celebrate with a two two month orgy pendant. <laughs> It's what he would have wanted. <laughs> but like, I think I was saying before that um, Nicky Lauda was quite magnanimous about about um, James Hunt winning the title. Like, Lauda, Lauda won it himself. Lauda he? won yeah. it. He won it three times, I think. Fine. He won it the season before and then I think he won 77 and... How are you not retiring? Like that. At the point you can't blink and you've lost <laughs> yeah. an ear. How yeah. are you not retiring? Amazing. I guess by that point, it's like, where, where do you go from there, really? Anyway, back to James Hunt. Back to James Hunt. So he he wins the title, has this has this massive bender. Bernie Eccleston has block booked this flight back to the UK. It's like Japan Airlines flight. And they basically have like a 12-hour mid-air party and just drink, drink the plane dry. They land at Heathrow and there's thousands of people waiting to, to greet Hunt. He like door opens and he sort of stumbles down the stairs and he's greeting his fans among whom is his girlfriend <laughs> who I imagine was not too pleased when she found out about the 33 air stewardesses yeah. but they then head off to the British embassy where there's a reception for James but he arrives there and he's basically so drunk that the British ambassador tries to not let him into the embassy <laughs> eventually they eventually they sort of sober him up and he agrees to let him in. So after James Hunt eventually retires and has a brief stint as a co-commentator for Murray Walker, the the legendary F1 commentator, it doesn't last too long though. There's one of one of his first races. He turns up super drunk already and proceeds to neck two bottles of rosé during the race and starts just like slurring his words and. At one point, Murray Walker like reports that one of the drivers who's not doing very well is like blaming his 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 bad race on an engine change, and Hunt just like leans forward and slurs into the mic. And all I can say to that is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like live on TV. BBC. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> what, uh, what happened to him in the end? He, uh, he sadly died of a heart attack. Oh, God. Aged Quite 45. young. <laughs> <laughs> Lived fast. Yeah. 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 Literally, yeah. He smoked like 60 a day, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. That's what it really was. There's another, there was a good interview, actually, where he's he's been interviewed after the after the race during his, his driving days. And the interviewer just asked, asked him a question. He's just like, sorry, do you mind if I have your cigarette? <laughs> what takes it off him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> probably still soaked in oil from there. <laughs> anyway fast forwarding a few years we've got another McLaren driver and latterly Ferrari that's Kimi Raikkonen who during his racing career he always had this nickname the Iceman he was a, a Finnish driver although apparently at McLaren he had another nickname they called him they called him Pingu because he, sound, <laughs> he sounds like Pingu when he speaks <laughs> Have you got any cards <laughs> Meep, meep. <laughs> I just love the idea of them being in the garage and being like, uh, calling him Iceman to his face. Yeah, and then when he's not in the room, it's just like, where the fuck's Pingu? And obviously getting it mixed up at some point. <laughs> Kimmy, you missed the presentation by Pele. Yeah. Will you get over it? <laughs> yeah, I was having a shit. <laughs> okay, thanks for that. I was having a shit. Scandies just don't give a shit, but yeah, I can't break that. Yeah. <laughs> I was having a shit. He does actually sound a lot like Pingu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was this great moment in the Monaco Grand Prix where Kimmy's car broke down and he he like climbs out and climbs over the barriers and you're expecting him to just walk back to the pit garage to reflect with his his team about what happened. And instead he just sort of wanders off. You see him like hop another couple of barriers and then gets on board a yacht, still in his full like race overalls with his helmet on gets onto this yacht where all of his mates from Finland are and then they just hand him a hand him a, champ- a glass of champagne and he gets in the hot tub with them and Love just it. watches the rest of the race from there. Love it. Yeah, there's another 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 yacht story. He he was spotted one time on the top deck of this super yacht and just like super drunk and tries to throw a pole like a javelin style off the edge of the yacht and just topples over the edge and falls head first down the side of the boat. <laughs> Yeah, he was. He's he's one of the most infamous boozers of the more recent years. So there's this story from 2004 in Gran Canaria where he goes on holiday with a group of his mates and basically has this huge seven hour bender at the uh, Playa del Inglés resort. So he's apparently got this huge wad of cash with him and he keeps on just slapping down hundred euro bills on the on the counter, paying for everybody's drinks, like propositioning waitresses. <laughs> At some point of the night, he finds this inflatable dolphin that he's carrying around with him for the rest of the night. He goes into this restaurant and he's like parading it around between the tables, starts wrestling with it on the floor whilst like grabbing customers' drinks off their table and necking them. He's then later on kicked out of a nightclub for, in the words of Finnish papers, having intimate relations with the dolphin on the dance floor. (laughs) (laughs) Was there like a blowhole on the dolphin? (laughs) I guess. A stag-do dolphin. Dolphins apparently do have sex with the blowhole. Do they? I I heard that. Does that make sense? (laughs) It makes sense. What would go in it? Yeah, I guess they have penises, don't they, the men? With other dolphins? (laughs) You're both looking at me quite... I mean, it was an inflatable dolphin, so it at least least had one hole for (laughs) for blowing up. <laughs> he then, after that, after he gets kicked out of the nightclub, heads to another bar where there's a, a Finnish pop star performing. He then, he, Kimmy gets up on stage and starts grabbing the mic, trying to join in on the songs. Eventually, people are finding it funny to begin with, but 
gets too much and one of the other singers tries to drag him off and he almost gets in a fight with them gets kicked out he's later photographed by paparazzi curled up asleep on the street with his inflatable dolphin <laughs> still got the dolphin yeah sagging a bit by now I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> looking a bit sad the dolphin it's fully deflated really. it's a real bonds these two yeah, yeah. yeah. all right well it's not all champagne and shagging there were also in the golden age of f1 there were what i would call sort of friendly japes and um, one of my favourite pairings was Gerhard Berger, who was a sort of middling, jobbing F1 driver. He never won the title or anything, but he he had these few years at McLaren in the early 90s where he was with the great Ayrton Senna. And Berger was partial to a practical joke. So he played some pretty good ones on Senna. At the Australian Grand Prix, he got hold of some wild frogs. And while Ayrton Senna was out of his room, he filled his room with the frogs. <laughs> and eventually <laughs> says, also I swear frogs can be like poisonous in Australia. <laughs> yes. Sort of biblical play. Yeah. And anyway, Senna apparently then turned up at his door being like, what the fuck? I've just been getting rid of all these frogs in my room. And he just replied, did you find the snake? <laughs> So Senna's obviously freaking out for a while. Senna then got revenge by getting hold of some really smelly French cheese and filling the air conditioning unit in Gerhard Berger's room with it and sticking it on full full pelt, stinking out his room a bit. I'd say in general, Senna's responses are quite tame. So like he would like glue together Gerhard's credit cards and it was like, oh, very funny. And then Berger once spiked Senna's orange juice with five sleeping pills on the day of the Japanese Grand Prix. <laughs> just like, on the day of the race. Kill, I mean, would have killed yeah. him. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Yeah. Apparently Senna didn't drink it, he smelled a rat. So I think maybe he was like, oh, okay. have some orange juice. Yeah. But I mean... Berger wasn't about on the on the fateful day, was he? <laughs> <laughs> <Which fate>? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you? Nineteen ninety four. didn't drink any orange juice on that day. <laughs> was he hoping that the sleeping pills would kick in before the race? Because otherwise, yeah, if it's, if it's mid race, then surely that's it's quite savage. It's quite a response to gluing together someone's <laughs> cling filming the loose scene. Yeah. It's like, well, I'll just stab him. Yeah. Um, another one he did. This one's quite good. They were flying to Argentina for the Grand Prix, and he nicked Senna's passport and obviously back then passports were quite sort of cut and paste jobs and he replaced his passport photo with just a picture of a cock and balls <laughs> <laughs> when Senna got to customs the Argentine custom officials just like you can picture them looking at the passport looking back at his face like, straight face they detained him for 24 hours obviously Ed Senna is Brazilian and one of the most famous people on the planet at the time but they were still like we are banging you up for 24 hours <laughs> Oh, that's dear. a good one that's so yeah, good pranks good pranks from Gerhard <laughs> he also stole Paul McKenna's wife the famous hypnotist do you know what I mean yeah yeah older listeners will be familiar with Paul McKenna Paul McKenna yeah, I can make you thin yeah yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. famous hypnotist yeah. who could make you thin and he Berger was spotted in cavorting with his wife in Toronto I think. Mm. so a bit of a shagger as well anyway from those friendly japes I've got a slightly darker character Max Verstappen dominates the sport now and his single-minded genius probably comes as no surprise when you learn about his father and how he raised him uh, his father Jos was a he was a again a sort of like middling driver late 90s early noughties um, but when he wasn't on the circuit he was raising his son with an iron fist so when Max Verstappen was 14 he lost a go-karting race and on the drive home, they're in southern Italy, middle of nowhere, his dad just dumped him outside a random petrol station. He was so angry with him and just said, get out, you can walk home. 
So, in Italy. Yeah, in the middle of southern Italy. Just like, so you can walk home and he was five miles away from their hotel. And uh, apparently when he finally got back to the hotel, Jos didn't speak to him for a week. So yeah, a bit of a psycho. But Max probably got off lightly compared to a bloke who got into a disagreement with Jos and his dad. So Max's granddad, Franz. They got into an argument with this guy at a go-karting track about whose turn it was to go first. And the bloke ended up with a fractured skull. Is this a go-kart? What do you say to go first? Is this just a go-kart track sort of birthday party? competitive? Some eight-year-olds. Yoss for stamping. Cracking skulls. Cracking skulls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, apparently they settled out of court. So he, I think you get a lighter sentence in Germany. But then Franz, Joss's granddad, then accused Joss of beating him up. And so towards the end of Franz's life, they, they didn't speak. He still spoke to Max. Because I sort of assumed maybe Yossa got it from his dad, but I, I don't know what's going on there. But beating up your own dad's pretty hardcore. And then also on the rap sheet is the time he sort of a little bit accidentally ran over his ex-girlfriend and was charged with attempted murder. Although in the interest of fairness, we should say that she then dropped the charges and married him. Uh, and then they divorced three years later, unsurprisingly. Mm. So yeah, bit of a terrifying figure. He you does, know, sounds quite horrible. Yeah, I thought we'd have one slightly dark one amid yeah. all the fun. Yeah. <laughs> but we're all having too much fun with Gerhard Berger. Sort of the opposite of comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, for, so for the next one, we're going to go back to the 1960s, which is the era of F1 where everything is just terrifyingly dangerous. This story is about Jackie Stewart, the three-time world champion. So it's the 1966 Belgian Grand Prix. And just as the race begins, the cars are just pulling away and there's this absolutely biblical downpour. So the whole track is covered in like an inch of water. Cars are skiddy about everywhere. On the first lap, half of the field crash out. And by the first corner of the second lap, there's only seven drivers still in the race. Jackie Stewart crashes out at 170 miles an hour. He he says, he's recording this, he says, first I hit a telegraph pole and then a woodcutter's cottage and I finished up in the outside basement of a farm building. The car ended up shaped like a banana. I don't know why there's like a farm building. And well, you need, you need to have tracks in farmland, I guess. I guess, yeah. It's it's woodcutter's cottage. Woodcutter's like cottage. Hansel and Gretel, <laughs> like medieval. Like, Brothers Grimm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then an elderly old crow <laughs> came and offered me three wishes. <laughs> Hope he dropped his breadcrumbs. 
is there a windmill coming up? Um, there are there are some quite fairy tale characters oh, okay. coming up. <laughs> so so anyway, Jackie Stewart is is really badly injured. He's trapped in the cockpit, like barely conscious. The engine is sort of ruptured, and there's fuel gushing out all over him. And he's like desperately trying to get out, but he's completely locked in. But as luck has it, his teammate. Graham Hill crashes out at the same corner, not so badly, just like goes into some bales of hay and spots this hole in the hedge. He's like, what's that? So he goes to investigate and finds Jackie in like the mangled wreck of this car covered in fuel. And he's like one spark away from, you know, death. And he's trying to pull him out, but the steering wheels like locked him in place. So he's like, fuck, we need to get a spanner or something. So he rushes off. The stewards are nowhere to be seen. He finds a spectator and borrows a toolkit off him and goes back and eventually manages to get the steering wheel off and pull him to safety. And he he drags him into this nearby barn or woodcutter's cottage, maybe. I think it was. <laughs> <Gingerbread house. laughs> Just happens to be. Yeah. There were seven dwarves that helped him, <laughs> helped him to help to drag him clear of the wreckage. <laughs> <laughs> no so he pulls him into this barn and jackie's like barely conscious and covered in fuel which is like burning his skin so he decides that he needs to get these overalls off him and so like strips him naked basically and strips himself naked as well because he's also got covered in fuel and at this point realizes that jackie's struggling to breathe so he's like shit i need to do mouth to mouth so he like gets him on the floor, gets on top of him and presses his lips to, to Jackie's mouth and is like breathing in and out. At which point the medical staff belatedly arrive on the scene and this medical team just happened to be the local nuns <laughs> <laughs> who, who come into this barn and see these two naked men cavorting on the on the floor one with like his mouth locked to the other one and you know they're sort of like oh my oh my god say say a few hail marys and eventually like graham graham explains what has happened and then oh okay all right yeah and they like yeah kind of load it load him up into an ambulance the ambulance then gets lost on its way to the hospital (laughs) went up a beanstalk instead Yeah, he, he does recover, fortunately. Yeah, he lives to tell the tale. Yeah, he lives to tell the tale. Is that Graham, Graham Hill's, Damon Hill's dad, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great story. Such a, like, carry-on yeah. film sort of tale. Yeah, that's so carry-on. That's great. <laughs> All right, well, no list of F1 characters would be complete without Bernie Eccleston. Mm. A man often referred to as the supremo of F1. So he basically made his fortune and his and his name by getting control of the TV rights to F1 and turned it into the sort of like mega billion dollar sport that it is today. And he also had a lot of control of the, of the sport. Bernie is five foot three. He's an inveterate sexist, an admirer of Hitler. He's a tax dodger. <laughs> um, he's got quite Bond villain energy, I would say, as well, especially because he often is seen with those sort of like dark glasses, kind of smoky lenses. And last year, actually, he was he was caught boarding a plane in Brazil with a gun in his hand luggage, just cruising around with a shooter. But he also has this, like, East End, 60s, you know, crime-adjacent wheeler-dealer vibe. So that there's quite a nice um, 
story that illustrates how he's always up for a nice little earner. Mario Andretti, who I think was a driver, you know, I'm talking 70s. He, someone, they were in a hotel, they're like at a party and Bernie was by the pool. And someone said to Andretti, I'll give you a thousand dollars to push Bernie in the pool because he'll fucking hate it. So Mario went over to do it and then bottled it, was too scared. And Bernie sort of noticed him being shifty and was like, what's going on? And Mario explained, like, oh, they've offered me this to push you in. And Bernie just goes, give me 500 and you can do it. And he just <laughs> took off the money. So I bet you're a billionaire. <laughs> but he just, just loves, loves learning. I thought that was quite endearing. You can, you, say, you can say the boy out yeah, east then. Yeah. Do you remember he also um, got mugged for his Hublot watch, like outside his house in like Chelsea. And uh, they left him with that really bad black eye. And most people would be like traumatised and in counselling. It was quite a nasty beating. But the next week he just did an ad campaign for Hublot Obviously, they paid him, and it was a picture of him beaten up, and it said, some people will do anything for a Hublot. So he's just always looking out for the nice earner. There were actually even rumours that he was involved in the Great Train Robbery, which is probably the most iconic sort of gangster move of that era. So the reason he was rumoured to be involved is that he was friends with the getaway driver from the robbery, a man known as Roy the Weasel James. <laughs> what an era. Uh, so, so the weasel was the getaway driver. He was eventually jailed. And um, Bernie said, naturally, when he got out, I gave him a job working for F1, making the trophies, because he used to be a goldsmith. Mm. So obviously this rumour spread that, you know, the the great train robbery, they nicked gold mainly, I think, gold yeah. and silver. So the rumour is that the F1 trophies are made with gold really? from the great train robbery. Bernie's obviously always denied this. I think it's it's probably apocryphal. But um, when, cool. when it was finally put to Eccleston, were you involved in the robbery? He just said, ah, there wasn't enough money on that train. I could have done something way better than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, quite like that about him. He's also... Having fathered a child at the age of 89, he is the seventh oldest father ever in in recorded history. Wow. He's one place behind Julio Iglesias, who is Enrique Iglesias' gynecologist grandfather, (laughs) who fathered a child in his 90s. (laughs) Obviously, these days, he's too old and full of Viagra to indulge in the kind of filthy power plays that he once did in F1. But... Just because he's old doesn't mean Bernie can't enjoy a younger despot from the comfort of his sofa. And he is, of course, a massive fan and friend of Vladimir Putin. Of course he is. He, he's always said Putin should run Europe. Um, and after, <laughs> after Russia invaded Ukraine, he said, I'd take a bullet for him. Putin is a first class person. Just <laughs> <laughs> pretty mental. Wow. So, cause was he not calling for Christian Horner to resign after this alleged inappropriate pick? <laughs> yeah, he's like, so he, he wanted Horner to resign for an inappropriate pick, but Putin invading Ukraine. Yeah, you can flatten the Donbass, but yeah. do not send an inappropriate photo, whatever you do. Priorities. He's of that kind of Murdoch category of just utter like power mad reptile yeah <laughs> but it's weird i have to say i've always thought of him as a bit of an asshole and i think the putin thing i really don't like but when i sort of discovered a bit more of the like 60s gangster adjacent stuff i started to feel quite like warm and nostalgic about bernie eccleston i, I didn't know that side to him i just in my head he's just this like sleazy bond villain character who's always got like two supermodels on each side yeah i think and- he is that as well but he's got this like hinterland that is kind of I don't know romantic am I romanticising like some really unpleasant gangsters <laughs> I really wanted to name my son like Ronnie or Reggie not specifically after or the crowd yeah or Bernie <laughs> yeah like an, a 60s East End gangster name so yeah. I think I've Bernie's a great name actually yeah Bernie is a good name anyway and I didn't realise Bernie had such a strong link to that 
He's a billionaire now. He always says, I didn't make my money through F1. I made it through property. But he did. He he basically wangled a deal in the, I think, 80s where he would get a quarter of all the revenue from F1 because he controlled the TV rights. And him and Max Mosley basically carved up the sport where Mosley would take the like legislative side and Bernie would take the commercial side and they would sort of act like they often disagreed on stuff. And then there would be this like, oh, we've we've patched it up and done a deal thing. But I think they were basically just stitching the sport up. Yeah, and they worked... With, Bernie in particular would broke deals with each of the individual teams. If you think about like F1, the teams are the ones with the power because without the teams, then the sport would be nothing. And he was working sort of in this clandestine way where he'd pit them all against each other and nobody would really know what sort of money they were getting and and basically through a sleight of hands make them sign away like mm. rights and stuff. He was... I mean, like talented in the art of the deal, but he was he was he was devious. Yeah, Machiavellian. Yeah, yeah Machiavellian. In a way, he paved the way for the Premier League. A lot of people say, like he invented this like ultra commercial sport. Max Mosley, his old pal, obviously went a slightly different route. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go into his whole. Lo- well, actually, let's do it. Mosley's dad, Oswald, was a fascist politician who famously had Hitler as the guest of honor at his wedding. And yeah, I think Max, like gradually over time, having stood for Mosley's party post-war, which was a sort of fascist reboot, Max over time kind of distanced himself from it. But there was always a bit of a lingering um, question over whether he was a Nazi. And obviously this formed the justification for the News of the World sting, one of the most famous tabloid stings ever, where the News of the World ran the front page story, F1 boss in vile Nazi orgy. So the, the story was that Max Mosley had been having these five-hour orgies with these five dominatrices. Uh, is that the plural? The plural of dominatrices. <laughs> Dominatri. Dominatrices. <laughs> with, with dominatrixes. Um, and Mosley was videoing them, and somehow the news of the world got their grubby paws on the, on the video footage. And this week, in preparation for this podcast, in the interest of journalism, I reread the News of the World Sting. I thought you were going to say you watched the tapes. I couldn't couldn't get hold of it. (laughs) Shame. Wouldn't rule it out. It's pretty funny. Obviously, Mosley sued them in court and won. And his argument was, you've invaded my privacy and you don't have any right to because there wasn't a Nazi element. The whole case hinged on whether it was a Nazi element or not. And the News of the World insists there were. I mean, the dominatrices were dressed in Luftwaffe uniforms. Some of them were in prison outfits. They were inspected for lice and like had their genitals measured and they were barking in German. So make it that what you will. Obviously, Max is no longer with us. So I'm not super concerned about the legal side, but you know, I want to be fair. But I thought I'd just read a few extracts. Um, here's a line from the News of the World story. Red-faced and panting, Mosley looks on like a child in a sweet shop but surrounded by bright red bottoms. Um, apparently he does quite a lot of like barking orders in German, but then sometimes will um, slip into English in a German accent. And apparently at one point, one of the dominatrixes is, is spanking one of the others who's in like the, the prisoner role. And Mosley just goes, she needs more of the punishment. <laughs> German accent. Um, and then the news of the world, obviously they really need to act like this is like this sick Nazi thing to justify their story. But they also can't resist like the odd gag. So there's a bit where they're like, last week Mosley led a crackdown on abuse in the sport. But on Friday, the only crackdowns Mosley was interested in were on bare buttocks, including his own. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's, it's all very salacious. It's just, he, he sort of does a bit of, he's the dominant one and then he's the submissive one. 
gets a real beating. He has to have a wound dressing put on his backside at one point. Yeah, it's, it's wild stuff. Wow. It was, a, it was a story that ultimately led to the downfall of the news of the world, wasn't it? Because Mosley was the... He funded all of the celebrities who took the news of the world to court for the phone hacking scandal, mm. didn't he? And he said, if you lose, I'll bankroll you, so you've got nothing to lose. And without Mosley's financial backing, the news of the world wouldn't would probably still be about. Yeah, that's mad. Yeah, it's crazy. I think... I actually think they did invade his privacy and, and he what, should have... been filming an orgy that he had in his home? You reckon that's amazing? <laughs> but basically their argument was this guy who's the son of a fascist and stood for a fascist party has Nazi sympathies mm. and that there's a public interest in knowing that. Uh, I mean, I kind of think you have a right to have a Nazi orgy if you want. I think it's kink-shaming, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I actually do think that. Yeah. I'm happy to repeat all of it on my podcast, but... <laughs> I mean, his privacy has already been invaded. I, do, I mean, there, there's definitely a public interest. In well, it's definitely interesting <laughs> yeah. to the public. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same thing, yeah. Do you think the public has know. a right to Wait, know? So, so, um, do they have a right to know? I kind of think maybe, yeah. If it's because of, because of, the, because of his sort of backstory. I'm, to be honest, nobody should be having Nazi-themed orgies, really. Uh, you don't think you have a right to? Um, or, you know. Should you have, I don't know, it's the same, like, should you, should you, should you have a Nazi-themed party? Well, no. if, if you had a if, if, some, if somebody threw a Nazi themed Halloween party, would you think that's that's cool? I would make and then, it illegal. Then, but then the news of the world weren't making it illegal; they were just exposing. No, it. but then yeah. if like if like a, if a public figure had a Nazi themed Halloween party, do the public have a right to the know? Yeah, 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 I would say say, say yeah. Cool, I would say yes, it? and then. If they do, does it make it okay that it's an orgy? Mm. So actually, I, would say it's, the, I think the judge said if it was a Nazi orgy, you would have a right to publish it. But I'm not convinced it was, which I find surely <laughs> the, the lift the lift wife for costumes <laughs> a big giveaway. I think I made my mind up when I heard about that. <laughs> The Luftwaffe was actually formed before the formation of the National Socialist Party. <laughs> who inherited the Luftwaffe. The moment he pretended to flatten London's <laughs> East End, I thought... <laughs> the Einsatzgruppenführer marched in in black boots. <laughs> Nazi-themed, it was merely Luftwaffe-themed. Yeah. I think that's what he basically said. It was actually the Second Reich. That we, that we were going for. It was more Bismarcky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the German German alone was a yeah. bit of a giveaway. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating that that's what he's into, just given his background. His parents yeah. were mates with Hitler. Yeah, maybe they went to some parties like that. Oh, I bet, I bet they were all into all sorts of shit. Like the of yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I digress. Yeah. Bigger villain, Max Mosley or Bernie Eccleston? Mosley, yeah, no, Mosley. Uh, I think Mosley. Um, I think the standing for the fascist party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that clinches it. I mean, but make no question, like no questions about it. Eccleston is also an absolute wrong end. Yeah, he's a wrong end. Yeah, I've romanticised him slightly more than I should. He's a wrong end. All I can think of him is great train robbery, which is <laughs> almost certainly untrue. But, yeah, yeah, I think but, it's clear that he was not involved in it. But I love that he gave the getaway driver a job yeah, making trophies. Yeah. <laughs> Britain's most famous gold thief. Perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have you got a nice clean one for, the, um, for us after that? <laughs> well, clean-ish. No, actually not really. Perfect. So we've got, it's a, it's a less familiar name for you. And that is Tommy Byrne, who is an Irish driver. He only actually managed a few races in F1 in 1982, despite his, uh, his immense talent. Eddie Jordan actually said that the only drivers that matched Tommy's talent were Ayrton Senna and Michael Schumacher. So he was he was very good. Unfortunately, his lifestyle didn't quite match that of a, an elite sportsman. So Tommy 
made his name in Formula Three. There was a story from a they had a race in France and the qualifying got rained off. So him and his team went to a, a local cafe and he drank like seven or eight Irish coffees, at which point word got through that the rain had cleared up and qualifying was back on. <laughs> so, Shit. So, <laughs> fuck's sake. And uh, just had to, just went back and just did qualify and qualified sixth. Drunk. Uh, drunk. <laughs> it would have pretty wide as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe it helped. <laughs> he, he then, he won the Formula 3 title and bagged himself a drive at Theodore, who were one of the sort of backmarking F1 teams. But the car was pretty shit, so he did five races with them. Three of them he didn't even qualify for, and the other two he retired because the car like broke down or something. And at the end of his last race, he like completely lost the plot, threw chairs at the team and told them to shove it up their arse. Been on the Irish coffees? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, or worse. So part of the reason I think that he was so ballsy in that, in that instance was because he'd been invited along to test drive the McLaren at Silverstone and the McLaren at that point were one of the best teams. So he was finally thinking like, all right, this is my chance to actually get in a decent car and show what I can do. So the day that he gets the offer of this test drive, he he goes out to celebrate. And this is his, his recollection of the day. A friend of mine gave me a big bag of cocaine and I was snorting it all day long. <laughs> at the end of the night, I couldn't take any more. And I gave it to one of my friends and he said, that's not coke, it's speed. And I was like, that's, it's the same, right? And he said, mm, no, not really. <laughs> After the prize giving, I was lying in bed for three days crying. <laughs> that was the end of my F1 dream. <laughs> or never raced again. No, so he did do the test drive, but the um, night before the test, he got really stoned with a bunch of girls that he met, who he then brought along to watch him do the test drive. Unsurprisingly, McCarran didn't select him <laughs> for a race seat. Although he he claims that his test was rigged and that the McLaren engineers had turned down the throttle on his car before he got in. So he says that he years later, like 20 years later had met one of the engineers and they admitted that it was a whole sort of plot by Ron Dennis, the like they'd McLaren why? team boss, because they basically didn't want him to do really well in this test and then be forced into mm. replacing one of their existing drivers with right. him. Do you think they were uh, also thinking, they were also just like <laughs> just seen you do a whole bag of speed. <laughs> yeah, just gonna turn the throttle back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Given you got fucking whiz all over your nose. <laughs> You're actually gonna drive this Mini Cooper instead. <laughs> One of those stationary ones outside yeah, yeah. shops for children. <laughs> you probably, probably won't notice. <laughs> um, fucking hell. So his, his F, F1 career is pretty short-lived and he then moves to the US and then to Mexico to race single-seater cars, also to parties. So he says uh, of his time in Mexico, I took enough drugs to kill a buffalo. So at this point, he's he's earning like 100 grand a year. He's sponsored by Corona and Nokia, kind of living the life. He has this story, he has an all-night party with the president of Nokia, where he says they almost died of tequila poisoning. He also makes friends with this Mexican millionaire called Nacho. Um, so they, they first meet because Nacho's buying a, a helmet off him. And he's sort of waiting by the side of the road for this guy to pick him up. And this car pulls up and there's two guys and he gets in. And the guy in the back seat just has a gun. And he's like, fuck, okay, I think I know what's going to happen here. So he's either going to get robbed or murdered. And then they're, they're all like speaking in Spanish and he kind of doesn't understand what's going on. And then they wind down the window and put the gun out and he's like, fuck, they're not going to kill me. They're just going to, it's going to be like a drive-by. Turns out 
it's all fine. They're just shooting at road signs. Um, (laughs) But anyway, still a bit of a bit of a character. And him and Nacho become really good friends, hang out a lot. And one night, Tommy is hosting a relaxing orgy at his house, as you do. (laughs) And suddenly these naked girls come running down the stairs and then Nacho appears at the bottom of the stairs with a gun. And uh, Tommy says that he, this is his account of the story. He ran out with his gun naked and I just said, ¿Qué pasa, amigo? (laughs) (laughs) And he just took the gun and shot at me twice. (laughs) So fortunately, fortunately, Nacho misses and Tommy like locks himself in a room with these girls. And then at that point decides like, it's time to get out of Mexico. A couple of weeks later, Nacho is found dead in a swimming pool because apparently he was worth 40 million at the time right so you know there's sort of gun-toting mexican millionaire hosting cocaine-fueled orgies where he tries to shoot his best friend is <laughs> yeah. kind of guessing that nacho wasn't just the president of a local chain of restaurants <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i think um, we know what his job was yeah. especially when he's found floating in his yeah, pool yeah. that whole story is like something out of like narco yeah, it really is <laughs> <laughs> proper breaking why, bad why stuff. did he shoot at his friend I don't know. He doesn't 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 explain that. Um, Psychosis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense. Seems like such a nice level-headed guy yeah, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but at that point, Tommy Tommy decides to like get out of that life and moves to Ohio and becomes a driving instructor. Where really? He, where he still is now. He's a driving instructor. A driving instructor. Yeah. Can you imagine having driving lessons with? F, a former F1 driver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds a lot like a witness relocation. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does, yeah. Ohio. <laughs> Just in Cleveland. <laughs> it's not the end of Bill. Yeah. <laughs> driving instructors do often talk a lot of shit as well, do you find? Uh, my they driving instructor, characters, he'd yeah. always be like, oh yeah, do you know um, David Beckham? I'd be like, yeah, I know who David Beckham is. And he'd be like, oh, I'm friends with him. Like, uh, okay. And he'd like, go past a famous person's house, tell you who it is and be like, yeah, we're friends. So <laughs> imagine if you're having lessons with him and he's like, oh yeah, no, I was friends with this Mexican drug lord. And you'd be like, yeah, of course, yeah. mate. <laughs> I, raced, I raced an F1. Yeah. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> just please, just teach me three-point turns. I don't, yeah. don't want to hear your bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all the wrong-uns, isn't it? They're not all wrong-uns, sorry, I should say. All the characters that we've we've run through. Um, not a wrong-un, but can I throw out an honourable mention to current Mercedes team principal, Toto Wolf? It was a funny moment quite recently where he appeared on Desert Island Discs with Lauren Laverne, the famous uh, Radio 4 show, in which guests choose eight tracks that signify big moments in their life. And his list is just one of the worst playlists you've ever come across. He had We Are The Champion by Queen. Uh, he had a uh, Phil Collins number. Proper, now that's what I call Car- kind of like... Yeah, karaoke. Karaoke <laughs> classics. But there's this clip here where he um, effectively chooses a song about a man's unrequited love for a prostitute in honour of his own mother. <laughs> Tell us what we're going to hear next, am I? I've chosen Mama from Genesis. The background of the song, it's about a young man and uh, probably a sex worker, and he just uh, starves for her attention. And uh, it's something that I can relate to, not to the sex worker, but for me personally, the title Mama is where 
my mother was had to be a bit remote to protect herself and uh, I can relate to that feeling that you're not getting emotionally what you feel uh, you you need or want it's a total love deprivation in a, in a way mm. but not done on purpose it doesn't kind of match Even on Desert Island Discs, there is such a thing as too honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. There are, like, think I love about this, two things. First of all, he calls it from Genesis, with, as if he's talking about the book of Genesis. And then the secondly is that there's literally songs about exactly what he's talking about. Like Mother by John Lennon is literally about yeah. what he's talking about. It's like, I just love the, how he can only sort of think in sort of like prostitute terminology yeah, and he's he's understood he said it's a sex worker he's understood <laughs> that part of it yeah it's like when i became successful in formula one my mother no longer needed to go to work <laughs> and i was telling her you can retire you can enjoy your retirement she said no 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 i want to go back to work so i'm going to choose roxanne by the police <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just seven songs about <laughs> prostitutes. <laughs> This one reminds me of me and my mother. <laughs> yeah. That's a great honorable mention. Uh, you play your friend's impression is so good. Oh, oh yeah. Cool. Although um, this could be for the uh, for the extra cut. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when this happened, I was talking to my mates about it. My mate George um, did a very funny impression, which Jack actually thought was totally I thought, I thought it was until, until, until the end. Well, <laughs> until the end. Yeah. Play we'll play it as a little Easter egg at the end. All right, well, I hope this has provided the perfect companion for the new F1 season. It'll take the edge off the glamour in Bahrain. Thanks very much, Zach. Thank you, Jack. And thank you, George. Thank you very much. Please do share this with your petrolhead mates. <laughs> and uh, see you next time. Thanks a lot. Tell us what we're going to hear next, am I? I remember once when I was, I think, 17 in Vienna. My high school girlfriend ended our relationship. So I went out that night with some of my friends and I was trying to hide how upset I felt. My mother used to call it feeling blue. <laughs> I was really not enjoying myself that night until this song came on that just perfectly described how I felt. And it means a lot to me. And now whenever I feel sad, I put it on and dance until I feel better. And that song was A Decade in Blue by Eiffel 65.